0: There is a scene in the soon-to-be-released movie Oppenheimer where a test of the atomic bomb is about to be performed. And Matt Damon's character, he's apparently a a rather intense, higher-up figure in the U.S. military. He looks over at at Oppenheimer, the scientist behind the experiment and the father of the atomic bomb, and Damon asks something that I think is uh, perfectly reasonable. He wants assurances that this test of this atomic bomb is not going to blow up or end in disaster for the whole world. He asks, and I quote, is there a chance that when we press this button, we will destroy the world? Oppenheimer responds, the the chances are near zero. Matt Damon's character responds, near zero? Oppenheimer says, well, what do you want from theory alone? Damon responds, well, zero, zero would be nice. As we know, the development of the atomic bomb was a world-changing event. These bombs that are now in the hands of dozens of countries, I think dozens of countries, maybe close to a dozen, I don't know, hold unbelievable power that, yes, if deployed wrongly, could have catastrophic consequences. There's no denying that the atomic bomb has fundamentally changed our world. Yet for the unbelievable significance that rests behind such a world-changing creation, there is a greater eternal significance. I would dare say a greater power that is found in what we do as the gathered church week by week by week you see what i'm going to argue for you from psalm 96 is that our worship of god is so weighty that it reverberates both to the nations and throughout eternity let me say that again Our worship of God is so weighty that it reverberates to the nations, to the ends of the earth, and even throughout eternity. I invite you to follow along as I read Psalm 96. Oh, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord, in righteousness, and the peoples in faithfulness. May God write the truths of his word and the wonder of the gospel upon our hearts this morning. I made quite an assertion, quite an argument at the beginning of this sermon, that the worship of the people of God is of such significance that it rattles throughout Reverberates throughout eternity and to the ends of the earth. I think Psalm 96 shows us this, and I think it shows us this by guiding us through three questions Why do we worship? Who do we worship? And what does worship teach us? Why do we worship? Who do we worship? And what does worship teach us? First, why do we worship? Simply stated, God is worthy of the worship of all peoples. This is what verses 1 to 6 show us. This psalm, as well as the next few that follow, service calls to worship, exhortations for the people of God to come from far and wide to worship Him. So you may ask, how, Stephen, is that more significant than atomic bombs? Well, It is not so significant because we are great singers or because we are great, specifically talented musicians. We are led by a a skilled group of musicians. I can speak for some of you that you are great singers and some of you are more like me. We're, We're not so great singers. Just laughed at how I can't find the right verse sometimes. But at the heart of this great significance is not the singers, but the one to whom they are singing. The reason by which, for which they are worshiping. The why behind we worship. Look at verses 1 and 2. Oh, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord, bless his name. Tell of his salvation from day to day. Did you know that if you were to look back at 1 Chronicles chapter 16, you might write this down and go look at it later uh, as you reflect upon this sermon. In 1 Chronicles 16, the people of God sang this psalm when they carried the ark of the covenant of God into Jerusalem. This place, this, this, this ark, this, this, this wooden thing that God had, had, had told his people to construct, his presence was going to dwell in it. It was going to be in the most holy places in the temple of God where his presence would dwell with his people. And so the people of Israel would carry it around, the very presence of God with them. And this was the psalm that they sang when they were carrying the ark of the covenant into Jerusalem. And fascinatingly, if you were to look ahead to Matthew 21, you would find echoes of this same psalm when Jesus himself entered Jerusalem. So you have God's presence dwelling among his people as the heartbeat, as the joy of his people. And this was what makes this psalm and this hope for the Christian to be so significant. You see, what we have to understand is that human beings, we are singers. What songs permeate through your heart? I was in my own personal feeling of of torture this morning as I was getting ready, and I could not get some of the songs from my kid's iPad out of my head. We've heard a lot of those songs as we've traveled a lot the last couple of weeks. Purple People Eater, the name game, you name it, just beating through my head. Then it dawned on me that thankfully nobody else is in the house. I can sing in the shower as loud as I want. So I tried to replace it with some worship. But we all are singers, not just kids songs, right? What what, what tops the charts today? Songs about love, songs about finding yourself, songs about our purpose, our identity, who we were created to be. Our great songwriters write songs that we hope can help us to understand ourselves, our world, our future, our purpose. And yet what Psalm 96 exhorts us to do is to sing a new song. How could the people of Israel sing a new song? Well, a new song has replaced the old song. This song does a wonderful job of revealing how the grace of God works in our lives. God puts not only a new song on our lips, but a new song in our hearts the very heart of christianity is god making a people who were spiritually dead to come to life so previously where their hearts sang or delighted in or despaired in anything but god the people who find him to be their bedrock hope their comfort their assurance they have a new song that has been put on their lips At one of its most basic levels, that is why we sing five songs every week, reminding ourselves of the gospel, reminding ourselves of Christ and his sufficiency for us. We don't sing songs that tell us, that 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 say, maybe God will take care of me this week. I don't know, it might all come crashing down. No, we sing of Christ's victory over death of Christ conquering our sin on His cross. Why? Because we need to hear these truths. Our song needs to be one of rejoicing in the finished work of our King. The early church father Irenaeus said, the glory of God is man fully alive. This psalm encapsulates this truth where we are fully alive when we have that new song that has come upon us. My Christian brothers and sisters, one temptation that we regularly face is to change the song that our hearts sing, to grow tired of the gospel, to lose a sense, to lose that sense of awe at the redeeming work of God. No, we need regular refreshment in the wonder of the Gospel that God has drawn near to us in Jesus Christ and He has brought us to Himself. That we would be nourished in His love, captivated by His glory, that we would sing a new song. This is why the Gospel is at the heartbeat of what we do. This is why a few weeks ago when Alma joined our church, when she was baptized, we hear testimonies of God's grace, not just For for that we might hear it, but that we, the church, might be nourished in it yet again. God is still in the work of bringing people to faith. God is still in the work of bringing the spiritually dead to life. We need to hear that over and over and over again. And you know why we need to hear that, dear Christian. Christians, some of us who have been believers for decades. We need to hear that because we need the regular, continual reminder That the same grace of God that raised Christ from the dead is the same grace of God that will carry and uphold your heart today, tomorrow, this week, this month, this year. There is not an expiration date on the grace of God for the Christian it instead arrives to us in new mercies day by day by day. When you get up in the morning and go for a walk before the temperatures start to get really high, maybe you walk the dog, maybe you go for a walk along the beach, watch the sunrise, whatever it is, take a deep breath in and inhale and be reminded, new mercies yet again. Day by day. Now, some of you, this talk of a new song, let's talk of the gospel. You might be, I, I'm not sure what you're getting at there, Pastor. I want to hold before you an invitation from God to have him put a new song in your heart. God knows you better than you know yourself. God knows the worries that keep you up at night. God knows the anxieties that plague your heart. God knows the sins that you would think would separate you from him. And God has provided Jesus Christ in His atoning work in the cross in order that you might be brought to Him. That you might not find God who we gather to worship as useful or as worthy simply of respect, but that you might find Him to be lovely. That you might find Him to be the greatest prize and joy of your heart. You don't hear love songs of that boy who has found that girl and he writes of how useful she is. And he writes of how, how much respect he has for her. No, he writes of a love that has gripped his heart and will not let him go. And I pray that it would be the same deeper love for us that would grip our hearts not as a boyfriend or girlfriend, but of the God of the universe who has put a new song on our lips. And maybe that's something for you to pray even today. God, I'm growing a little stale in my love for You. Would You refresh me in the Gospel? If you would like to discuss the Gospel more and what it means and and, and how God might bring you to himself and and put that new song in your heart. I'd love to speak with you after our service down in the lobby. Feel free to just grab me. You see, this is a call to worship. Sing to the Lord a new song. But then verses 3 to 4 take us even further. And what does the Lord instruct his people to do? Declare his glory among the nations. His marvelous works among the peoples. For great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods. The psalmist, what he does here is he he then takes the people and he says, our God who has grabbed hold of us. Our God who reigns over us. Our God who holds our days in his hands. He has commissioned us to make his glory known to the ends of the earth declare His glory among the nations, His marvelous works among all the peoples. Have you ever noticed how each Sunday morning in our pastoral prayers, we not only pray for ourselves and our work in this little corner of the globe, situate Massachusetts, but we also pray for the work of God for fellow churches and needs in various parts of the world. Do you know why this is so? Because the God of the Bible, the God of Psalm 96, is not a tribal deity who rules over us in situate, but is of no consequence in Singapore. No, we desire that peoples from all nations would know their Creator, would know the One who has sent His Son to redeem them from their sins. We desire that the hearts and the yearnings, the hurts and the pains, the agonies and the sorrows of people all over the globe would find everlasting peace in the one God who is worthy of their trust. And what God shows us here is dear Christian, dear church, is that if we are going to run on all cylinders as His people, we will be committed to this purpose. The global missions pioneer J. Campbell White wrote, Most men are not satisfied with the permanent output of their lives. Nothing can wholly satisfy the life of Christ within his followers except the adoption of Christ's purpose toward the world that he came to redeem. Fame, pleasure, and riches are but husks and ashes in contrast with the boundless and abiding joy of working with God for the fulfillment of his eternal plan. The ones who are putting everything into Christ's undertaking are getting out of it life its sweetest and most priceless rewards. Do you catch that? I uh, know a gentleman who pastors in Washington, D.C., and he'll have a lot of young, aspiring uh, congressional staffers and others who will, who will move to the city and, and want to begin their career in politics want to begin their career in climbing the ladder and, and eventually making a name for themselves and maybe obtaining office themselves. And he'll ask them, he'll ask these young, these young figures or, or these young uh, staffers who, who have these stars in their eyes of all the things they want to accomplish, he'll just sit there and say, okay, we have, uh, uh, what, is, what, is, what is Biden, 45th, 46th president of the United States? Isn't that bad? I don't even know. We'll um, for, say 46. And they'll say, okay, name how many presidents before then? How many of them can you name? Even the best of us can name, what, 20, 25? Maybe 30? Our days pass and we are forgotten. Even presidents are barely remembered. And then we bring our dreams, our hopes, and our, our wishes for ourselves. And we say, I think I can find something of eternal consequence, eternal significance in this little dream or plan or hope that I have for myself or my family. And what God says is no. He says, you want your life to have purpose? You want your life to have passion? You want, you want your life to, 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 to be spent for something that will be of eternal value? Declare His glory. His marvelous works among all the peoples. Now, what I'm not saying is that you will only know this if you travel overseas and do missions work on the other side of the world. Rather, what I am saying is that you and I must resolve that the thing that will be the overriding passion of our lives is the glory of God made evident in us, and the glory of God preached and proclaimed and evangelized through us, whether next door to the ends of the earth. Perhaps your worship will be enriched, and your heart will find greater purpose in worship if you recognize this reality. So now there's something interesting that happens in verses five and six. The psalmist, he, he must have abandoned his editor because he says something that is entirely politically incorrect. This, this would not have gotten out of committee. This would not have gotten past multiple sets of eyes that would have approved it before it was published for the people of Israel. He says in verses 5 and 6, for all the gods of the peoples are worthless idols. But the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and beauty are in his sanctuary. Do you see this? He upholds the God of the Bible as the one true God. And this is something that we must understand. In our world, it's common to say, well, there's many pathways to God, or or we each are climbing up a mountain, and they all have their own different roadways that reach to the top. Psalm 96, as well as the whole host of Scripture, this is not some outlier, says, no, this God of the Bible, the triune God, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, is the one true God. And in fact, all the other gods that are worshipped, they are worthless idols. This lays before us the responsibility in making Christ known and the seriousness of sharing Christ with those who worship worthless gods. And this actually leads us into the next question. So we've asked, why do we worship? Because God is worthy of the worship of all peoples. Next question, who do we worship? We worship our God who is glorious and holy. Thinking of the gods of the peoples that are worthless idols, there's a scene in 1 Samuel chapter 5, a little further back in your Old Testament, the Philistines captured the Ark of the Covenant and they carried it into their temples and put it beside their own little god called Dagon. Dagon. A little carved idol, but what happened? If you remember this story, the next morning they, they went, the Philistines went into the temple and Dagon had fallen down and could no longer stand beside the Ark of the Covenant. So they set it back up and put it back there. And then the next morning they go in again and Dagon has fallen down and been broken into pieces this time. This serves as a vivid illustration that our worship, our affection cannot be divided between God and other people, things, entities, the other things that would grab or captivate or or, or demand the worship of our hearts. And here's why this is important. This is important for a number of reasons, but I want to let you in on a secret. Do you want to be the best man or woman that you can be? Do you want to be the best husband or wife, father, mother, grandfather, grandmother, employee? Do you want to be the best whatever you are that you can be? I think most of us would say, yeah, I do. The greatest thing that those around you need is not you trying to be your absolute best that you can be for them, but actually for you to be transformed by and captivated by the worship of the Lord in the splendor of His holiness and to be transformed by Him. See, our greatest need, your greatest need, my greatest need, our greatest need is not the God that we would manufacture in our minds, AKA the approval of others around us, making them happy with us, feeling their pleasure, But no, the greatest thing that we need is for the God who has revealed Himself in His Word who beckons us to come before Him and be transformed by Him. Verses 7-9 to tell us, Ascribe to the Lord, O families of the peoples. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due His name. Bring an offering and come into His courts. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. Tremble before Him all the earth. See this three times, ascribe to the Lord, ascribe to the Lord, worship the Lord. Does it say ascribe to the Lord? Well, what you think of him. We're really good as a people at saying, I think God would be like this, or I think God would be pleased with me if I did this. But what we don't see is so easily is the things that God lays before us. That we, that, that we must acknowledge, that we must be aware of. Ascribe to the Lord glory, strength. Bring an offering. Not, not bring, that, that is an offering of our lives, an offering of our hearts enraptured with Him. Come into His courts in the splendor of His holiness, tremble before Him all the earth. This morning i looked in the mirror and i did a take on my shirt my pants did they need ironing did they not i don't know i'm a bachelor i'm going to try to get by with it that's something we do we size ourselves up in the mirror before we go out the door does this look good does our wardrobe look good does my calendar align with worship Can I make those lunch plans with that person? There are all kinds of important things that we think about as we prepare ourselves to head out the door to go worship with the church. But do you know the most important way that you can prepare for worship is by preparing your heart to worship God rightly? Think about it. You've probably heard in the news about the construction happening in in Boston on the Sumner Tunnel. And they're telling you, if you're going to East Boston, if you're going through that way, give yourself multiple extra hours to get there. There are all these things that prepare yourself how to get from point A to point B. It's going to be an ordeal. And how often do we prepare ourselves for, oh, I've got this big drive coming up, or oh, I've got this big meeting coming up. I have all these things that I have to prepare myself for, and then we give so little casual thought to the God before whom we come and worship. But here's what the answer is. The answer for us is not to to, to give deep thought of God and then try to put on our Sunday best and say, okay, I think I measure up before Him now. No, my wrinkled shirts, more importantly, my sinful nature is no match for Him. You see this here. verse. and worship the lord in the splendor of his holiness tremble before him all the earth when last did you tremble before something someone some 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 happening how do we come before this god we can't come before him in our fallen human sinful condition so how do we do so We listen to the words of Jesus who exhorted all who would listen. What is the very first things that Jesus is recorded saying when He came on the scene? Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Jesus is saying, you want to come before God? You want to encounter God? You want to know God? Humble your life under his mighty hand repent of your sin and find in him the grace that will wash over you and make you white as snow and then you will not stand back from fear of being destroyed by the holiness of god but you will draw near to God who is your Redeemer. And you will worship, not as ones who are trying to earn His favor. If I sing well enough, if I dress well enough, if I act well enough, then maybe God will be happy with me. No, you will sing with the same fervor in the same heart of a child who runs to and jumps in the arms of their father because they belong to him. And they know that nothing can take them out of his hands. So the God we worship is perfectly holy, but we worship him by the perfect Grace that he has provided for us in his sinless son. Third question we ask as we begin to wind down what does worship teach us? Verses 10 to 13. It teaches us that God will return and reign. I'm sorry I've had so many like traveling illustrations. I feel like with vacation and coming back and all that, but I got one more for you here. Yesterday, as I was flying back from New Orleans to Boston, the plane took us out over Lake Pontchartrain. If you're familiar with New Orleans, Lake Pontchartrain is the massive lake just on the north side of the city. If you're driving out of New Orleans and you're wanting to get to the north shore of Lake Pontchartrain, you go over what was at one time the longest continual bridge over water. It's about 24 miles long. You don't want to break down don't want to have to go to the bathroom. You get going, you want want to get to the other side. This bridge connects New Orleans to cities and communities on the north shore of the lake, and now, now interestingly, I've driven over this bridge numerous times. It's only about 15 feet above the surface of the water, but it stretches, like I said, almost 24 miles from one end to the other, and when you start out driving on it, all you can see is water. You're just just on this concrete span, just just shooting out that way. Eventually, about halfway, you can start to see, depending on if it's a clear day and all that, you can start to see the trees and the buildings and everything on the other side. But when you're starting out, all you see is water. Both sides in front of you everywhere. But as I'm in that airplane, I'm flying over Lake Pontchartrain, it's easy to see, oh, there's the beginning of it, there's the end of the bridge, and it doesn't look that long from here here's what this psalm does for us, and here's what worship does for us. It adds to us a perspective that is from that airplane and not from that car. It adds to us a perspective that helps us to understand that eternity is a lot closer than we envision, and helps us to understand our lives in the context and in the shadow of eternity. So what God's Word does is, on the whole, it serves us in His gracious love for His people by informing our perspective. Everything around us that competes for our attention, that competes for our devotion, screams out their ultimate importance and significance. But what this psalm does is it helps us to see from one side to the other, and it helps us to know what all of creation and where our lives are actually marching towards. So in verse 10, it says, Say among the nations, the Lord reigns. Yes, the world is established. It shall never be moved. He will judge the peoples with equity. Let the heavens be glad. Let the earth rejoice. Let the sea roar and all that fills it. Let the field exult and everything in it. Then shall all the trees of the forest sing for joy. This is anticipating a future day. for They will sing for joy before the Lord For He comes, verse 13, for He comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples in His faithfulness. You see, one of the great gifts of the Bible for us is it doesn't give us a commission or a mandate. Go tell people about Jesus. And then it doesn't say, and try your best and we'll just see how things turn out. Maybe things will go all right. No, the Bible promises the people of God will have the hand of God upon them and they will will see the success of the purposes of God in making the name of God known to the ends of creation that God rules over. So this is our hope in missions. This is our hope as we pray for missionaries, as we send out missionaries, as we proclaim the gospel. And did you know this is your hope and my hope as we share the gospel with those who the Lord has brought into our lives? Right here. None of us are where we are. You are not in the home you are in. You are not in the apartment you live in. You are not in the stage or circumstances you live in. You do not have the family you have. You do not have the coworkers you have. You do not have the friends you have. You do not have any of those by accident. God in his grace has put us where he has placed us that in his sovereign will he might use us For the glory of his name, both in situate as well as to the ends of the earth. That we might uphold, that we might say to the nations, as verse 10 says, the Lord reigns. The Lord reigns. If you've ever been stuck watching a movie that you did not particularly enjoy and it felt just interminably long... You just kept waiting. Is this the end of it? Is this the end of it? Is this the end of it? Some of you might be thinking that about this sermon right now. Now compare that with when you're watching a movie that you know how it will go. Remember the Super Bowl when the Patriots came back and they were trailing 28 to 3 and they came back and won. Watching that game was an experience. Watching the highlights now, knowing how it ends up, Helps you to see the earlier events and say, hey, okay, that interception, that pick six that Tom Brady threw, it's going to be all right. The Lord in his kindness lets us know it's going to be all right. The Lord in his kindness lets us know that he reigns. But we must understand that we have this responsibility to make his name known. We have this sober responsibility because the Lord in his righteousness, as verse 13 says, he will judge the world. He will separate those who know Him, those who trust in Him, those who sing this new song from those who simply deny Him, respect Him, even admire Him, but do not trust Him, have not repented of their sin and come to Him. So church family, may I urge us to see the eternal significance that weighs upon us But see that the Lord does not put it upon us as if he's laying a backpack on us that is loaded with weights that the minute we try to take a step, we will crumble. But know that he gives us a responsibility and that he carries us in his hand in that work. This summer, we're going to talk a lot about evangelism. We're going to pray for our evangelism and In some midweek gatherings that are going to begin uh, in uh, the first Wednesday or Thursday, first week, let's say, first week of August. I encourage you to put those on your calendar. Make plans to participate in those over the course of the month of August. On August 6th, Sunday, August 6th, we're going to be joined right here by a good friend of mine who's going to preach in our service, and we're going to have a potluck after the service. Uh, He pastors a church in Bangkok, Thailand. We're going to hear about his work. And 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 the and the work that he is doing and and the ways in which God is building his church in Thailand. Go ahead and throw that on your calendar. Understand that God has equipped us for a purpose of making his name known to the ends of the earth. See you look back and you see something like the atomic bomb and you see its significance in the course of human history. But the glory of God revealed in Jesus Christ and the worship of his people that will both stretch to the nations as well as to the ends of the earth throughout of eternity is of far greater significance. May it hold such weight in our hearts. And may we see and say among the nations, The Lord reigns. Worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. Sing to the Lord a new song.